From bloated and tired to free and inspired, welcome to Free and Inspired Radio with Philip Watkins, your weekly dose of everything digestion and mental health related. We hope you enjoy this episode. Here is your host, Philip Watkins. Yes, yes. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Free and Inspired Radio. I'm your host, a naturopathic practitioner, Philip Watkins, and I'm grateful to have you with us today. If you're new to the show, well, the title says it all. It's all about feeling free and inspired and exploring the many different avenues you can take to get there, whether it's deep dives on digestion and mental health solutions or guests who offer their own stories and answers. I hope I can be the type of guide you can rely on to unlock the agency you have to reach your own mental and physical competency. Let's get started with what's coming up on today's episode. Coming up on this week's show. Yes, yes. Welcome to episode 21 of Free and Inspire Radio. How's your week been? I hope you are keeping well. I'd like to thank everyone who's joining the show again. Shouts to our listeners in Brazil, Belgium, Australia and of course Hong Kong, Hong Kong. In a first for Free and Inspired Radio this week, this episode is in collaboration with the Integrative Medicine Institute or IMI, which is of course the clinic you can find me practicing out of most days of the week. Considered the largest integrative and natural medicine clinic in Asia, IMI has over 30 practitioners covering all modalities including osteopathy, modern medicine, chiropractic, and traditional Chinese medicine, including a range of amazing psychotherapists and counsellors, and little old me, of course. And our subject for this week is dedicated to Alcohol Awareness Month, and asks the question, is alcohol good for me or not? So look, I hate to be the bearer of bad news here, but the answer seems to be a resounding no. It's actually not that good for you. And at least this is based on new emerging research that's actually just come out about two weeks ago, which partly prompted me to look into this further along with our collaboration for Alcohol Awareness Month and IMI. Now, this new research is to counter the narrative that seems to be permeated over the last decade. In fact, even whilst putting this together, I was surprised at just how much the research is contrary to my recommendations when it comes to alcohol consumption for healthy people, which is 7 to 14 units a week and having fun and going and sharing some good times with your friends. Now, so much so or so contrary to this, the lead author of a study that was released a few weeks ago looking at alcohol and cardiovascular disease, Dr. Rudolf Schult, uh, expressed in an interview that health benefit from low to moderate alcohol consumption is possibly the biggest myth since we were told smoking was good for us. So in this episode, we're going to delve deeply into that and we're also going to look at some of the ways that alcohol affects your body and get a more balanced picture if we can because it's not always black and white or binary. Now the focus will be on your digestive system, mental health, metabolism and sleep. As you'll find, this is a very long episode, a lot of information while also looking at how even low to moderate alcohol consumption Uh, even less than my recommendations of 7 to 14 units could lead to an earlier chronic disease diagnosis such as cardiovascular illness. But let's get into why this is important. In 2022, 
we are dealing with what we could consider a post-COVID era. Now, alcohol consumption and sales have increased exponentially across most regions, especially those that have experienced lockdown-based interventions during and post-COVID-19. To put this in context, estimates from various studies have uh, have seen increased online sales in the United States between 262% and a massive 400% during COVID-19 in 2020. Now, Australia, Hong Kong, and Singapore all saw increases in their alcohol consumption as well. Now, let's be real. I don't think anyone listening to what I've just said is surprised. I'm certainly not surprised how it's been an unprecedented few years. And look, let's be honest, people use alcohol as a way to comfort some hard times. And we're never going to go too far on that. But look, it's not all bad. The reason why this is important, though, is the long-term effects of increased alcohol consumption over just one year can drastically affect your chances of developing health complications later in life. But look, let's get started here and look first at how alcohol affects our bodies. So you've got a nice drink in front of you, and as soon as you drink that, the alcohol is taken straight to the liver after entering the body via the small intestine. Now, the liver deals with more than 90% of alcohol. In the liver, it meets enzymes aldehyde dehydrogenase, or ALDH, and alcohol dehydrogenase, or ADH. Just some names there if you're interested. These enzymes break down the alcohol in the liver and prepare it for elimination from the body. Now, if you're new to how enzymes work, it's easy to think of enzymes or the enzymes that are added to laundry powders. So enzymes will be responsible for breaking down stains on your clothes. And I don't want to age myself uh, as the, you know, the TV ads that used to advertise the enzymes that would break down all stains. But basically anything that breaks something down in an enzymatic way is how they work in the body too. So their job in general once again, is enzymes break things down. So the aldehyde dehydrogenase and alcohol dehydrogenase enzymes basically break down alcohol. The enzymes mentioned above and their effectiveness at their job are actually the first place where genetics can play a role in how your body breaks down alcohol in contrast to someone else. For example, one person with minor changes in the gene that expresses alcohol dehydrogenase may be a little less effective at breaking down alcohol than someone who doesn't have that minor change. Some estimates suggest that this and other factors that we'll talk about shortly can affect alcohol metabolism up to threefold between individuals. That's a quite a large quantity or quite a large change. Now, the effectiveness of these enzymes is also one of the three main factors that influence blood 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 alcohol concentration and this just basically determines how drunk you get and how quickly that happens with how many drinks so other factors that influence blood alcohol concentration include how much food is in your stomach how quickly you drink or how thirsty you are and what you're drinking so for example fizzy drinks such as champagne uh, whiskey and soda tend to actually get into your system quicker than a port Carbohydrates, on the other hand, can affect the absorption of alcohol out of the stomach, stomach, so much so that the blood concentration levels may only reach a quarter of the level achieved on an empty stomach. So let me just repeat that. Carbohydrates can affect the absorption of alcohol out of the stomach so much that blood concentration levels may only reach a quarter, 25% 
of the level achieved on an empty stomach. So it just goes to show how important it is to eat when you're drinking. Body fat percentage will also affect the absorption of alcohol into the tissues. So women who achieve a higher peak blood level of alcohol concentration than men when given the same amount of alcohol, largely based on their generalized higher levels of body fat percentage. But this now also explains why that guy Scott from marketing can drink so much and act normal while the rest of you or us are all struggling. But rest assured, Scott's body is still experiencing the same things in the end. Once the enzymes have completed the first stage of their job, the alcohol is turned into a toxic substance called acetaldehyde. Now, no damage is done though because from there, in healthy people, the body creates a harmless substance called acetate out of acetaldehyde, so it's quite a quick process there. A side note on this, though, is that some 50% of Japanese people and some Southern Asian people uh, have uh, actually don't have fractions of the enzyme that, that breaks down acetaldehyde. So the consequences of this can mean alcohol consumption can quickly lead to symptoms such as flushing, nausea, and headaches considered mainly due to the increased acetaldehyde. Now, increasing acetaldehyde levels also interferes with fat-soluble vitamins such as vitamin A and D, and decreasing intestinal absorption of other nutrients such as glutamine, which if you are familiar with the digestion, you would know is a vital amino acid for digestive function. Unfortunately, that's not where it ends when it comes to the, the byproducts of the breakdown of alcohol and their effects in the body. The downstream molecules left over from alcohol metabolism begin to create problems for the body. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show, you'd be familiar with how often I mention the importance of balance or homeostasis to the body. Now, episode 19 on cortisol and stress is a good example of that, if you wanted to go and listen to that, but maybe finish this episode first. Alcohol and its effect on the body can, can be considered the same way. Often the extent that the body has to go through to bring itself back to balance post-alcohol use ends with undesirable consequences and byproducts. In the case of alcohol, we see oxygen levels in the liver decrease. Cells and metabolic byproducts interact to form more toxic molecules and molecules that amplify the cell damage across the body increase exponentially. These molecules in particular cause a significant increase in what can only be described as a rusting-like process on the tissues of the body, speeding up the aging process. Or this is for the more scientifically minded for you, this is highly reactive oxidative stress, if you like the science stuff. Most of this actually radiates out from the liver, which makes the liver obviously extremely important. But this also affects metabolism as well. Alcohol intake can cause either high or low blood sugar levels depending on where the glucose stores are at, increase triglycerides and also increase fatty liver formation, which is a huge problem. And fatty liver, I believe, is now taking over from diabetes type 2, which is a big deal. This metabolic effect contributes to some of the most prevalent conditions that we see in 2022, such as metabolic syndrome. Alcohol can be directly responsible for four out of the five characteristics of metabolic syndrome in heavy drinkers, but can actually be protective in low to moderate drinkers. You weren't expecting some good news in this podcast, were you? 
but here we are always delivering positivity on Free and Inspire Radio. Now, if you're new to metabolic syndrome, it's a condition that affects a quarter of the world's population, which is nuts. The syndrome groups commonly found metabolic issues such as high BMI, high fasting glucose, high triglyceride and LDL levels and high blood pressure and low HDL cholesterol levels with high levels of alcohol consumption contributing to all of these independent characteristics. So there's evidence for higher alcohol consumption raising people's blood pressure, imbalancing your cholesterol levels and obesity as well. In contrast, it seems that low to moderate consumption be, can be protective in some ways against the development of metabolic syndrome. This study at least offers some positive news, even though it was done in 2004, although I wonder whether over time these results might change, as it seems to me that post this study that I mentioned that was released a few weeks ago, the epidemiological studies are changing to try and reduce bias levels which can heavily influence the results but look i'll leave that there for the moment low to moderate consumption may be protective or does seem to be protective against the development of metabolic syndrome so we're not telling you to quit drinking here and that's a big part of this but for now let's take a break on free and inspire radio and come back with more on alcohol We'll look into alcohol's effects on the digestion, the brain, and your sleep. So don't go too far. We'll be back with more shortly. Woo! Time to take a break. Are you enjoying this episode of Free and Inspired Radio? There's no better time to take back your personal health sovereignty. If you want to connect with more Free and Inspired episodes... Simply subscribe to your favorite podcast platform or visit the website at www.philipwatkins.health for more information. Let's get back to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to episode 21 of Free and Inspired Radio. Thanks for hanging out with me today, whatever you're doing. We're asking the question for episode 21, is alcohol good for me? Now, we've covered some basics in part one, but let's look at how it might affect you if you're unwell, starting with the digestive system. So research around the role that alcohol can play in IBS is mixed, but what about its role in creating functional digestive problems aside from that? Now, we've spoken earlier in the episode about alcohol's role in nutrient absorption, but alcohol can also increase intestinal permeability, which is commonly known as leaky gut. And there's a full episode on leaky gut. I always get the episode numbers wrong. So just go to the menu of your favorite podcast app, and I'm sure you'll see the episode on leaky gut if you want to know more about that. But for now, compounding this leaky gut problem in alcohol, alcohol consumption promotes an imbalance in the bacterial environment causing the bacterial overgrowth of undesirable gram-negative bacteria. These gram-negative bacteria then release toxic byproducts that can cause inflammation and activate the immune system. The mechanism of how alcohol consumption contributes to these problems is still up for interpretation. But animal studies, so we only know, we know that animal studies only give us an indication of things. Animal studies have shown that alcohol can decrease the ratio between lactobacillus and bifidobacterium, so common probiotic bacteria, and increase undesirable bacteria. And look, 
if you're new to the microbiome and the digestion, it's all about diversity and it's all about ratios. So the ratios are the beginning of you know, things starting to go awry. So obviously if alcohol is contributing to this, it does seem to be a bit of a problem. Beyond this, the role that alcohol can play in digestive function is a sustaining factor. For example, alcohol can damage the muscles between the esophagus and the stomach. And these are the same muscles that protect you from heartburn, which may be the reason why people with higher levels of alcohol consumption experience higher levels of things like reflux and heartburn and what they and basic indigestion really. Now it all seems like there's a lot of inflammation and the effects of the uh, on the digestion from an inflammatory point of view can also then radiate to the brain. As alcohol crosses the blood-brain barrier and enters the brain quickly, long-term alcohol consumption activates the immune system within the brain. Now, an immune response in the brain is called neuroinflammation. Now, neuroinflammation has been implicated in many mental health conditions such as depression, anxiety, and schizophrenia. Pain-sensitive conditions such as fibromyalgia have also seen neuroinflammation present. Along with influencing the brain's immune system, alcohol interacts with the excitatory chemicals in the brain such as serotonin, so the good mood chemical, and dopamine, which is kind of like the pleasure chemical, I guess, and the inhibitory neurotransmitters or neurochemicals such as GABA, which as you may know from other episodes of this show is not an incredibly fast form of music. The balance between the excited and inhibited brain chemicals best describes how short and long-term alcohol use affects the brain. Firstly, in the short term, alcohol consumption primes the brain towards the more inhibitory neurotransmitter, GABA. Now, if you're new to GABA, the way I tend to explain it to patients is that its job is to shepherd the excited children like serotonin and dopamine together when it's time to relax. And it kind of balances the scale there. Various popular mental health prescriptions such as sleeping pills, such as zolpidem and anticonvulsant drugs affect the GABA system. And this action on GABA explains why alcohol is a, relaxed, a relaxant to most and why alcohol can be confused for being a good sleep aid. And we'll get to why it isn't just a little bit later on in this show. Over time, with continued consistent alcohol consumption, this leaning towards an inhibitory effect has the brain looking to rebalance things, increasing the amount of excitatory activity. This search for balance has a two-fold effect. The first is that it requires more alcohol to initiate the relaxing effect due to the competition between the excitatory and inhibitory systems. Secondly, when alcohol consumption decreases, the effects your brain feels necessary to keep the balance leave you feeling overstimulated, especially in the withdrawal process for recovering alcoholics. So, alcohol is proven to help me relax. Why did you say it isn't good for sleep? Now, in order to characterize alcohol's role in sleep, I'm going to offer one of my favorite quotes, and that is, a lie is sweet in the beginning and bitter in the end, and truth is bitter in the beginning and sweet in the end. And shout out to DJ Cozzy, because that's where I pulled it from. I don't know who said that quote, but I just think it's very, very eloquent. So alcohol and sleep. Now, in the first part of the night, alcohol can help you get to sleep. It can increase your sleep quality and non-REM sleep. So that sounds good, right? Then, though, 
sleep is disrupted heavily in the second half of the night. This disruption can see increased levels of wakefulness alongside lighter sleep, which leads to waking to feeling less refreshed, which is a very, very common experience. Now, depending on the type of alcohol consumed before sleep, low blood sugar can also contribute to why people wake early or unrefreshed. So this means that whilst you feel as if alcohol is helping you at the beginning of the night, it is in reality throwing out your sleep-wake cycles, making it harder for you to sleep the next night. Hence the quote, sweet in the beginning, but bitter in the end. Now, good sleep is also essential not only for the quality of your day, but also to help you stop from dying earlier, which is <laughs> helpful. Uh, many studies confer an increased risk of cardiovascular disease with shortened or poor sleep quality and duration. Now, the connection between alcohol and cardiovascular disease just seems to drive this argument that we brought up at the beginning of the article. Remember the quote? Now, let's look at that a little bit more. Is the health benefit from low to moderate alcohol consumption the biggest myth since we were told smoking was good for us? There's certainly a big statement at that, isn't it? And it's mainly from a study released last month or a few weeks ago. In fact, if you're listening to this you know, in the first week of April, and it's the study had a sample of more than 350,000 people. 333,000 of which drank alcohol. So this study is no joke. There is, we've got huge levels of, you know, huge cohort here. So the participants were followed over seven years, tracking their alcohol consumption and hospitalization for cardiovascular events. The results of the study found that for participants who drank below 14 units per week, the recommended limit offered by the UK's health authorities, every added pint of beer at 4% proof increased their cardiovascular risk by a whopping 23%. The study also went on to conclude that even low to moderate alcohol intake increased your cardiovascular event. So you may remember at the beginning of the episode, I mentioned that I was quite shocked as to how much research there was contrary to the 7 to 14 units. And look, it this is just one study, right? We've, but it does seem that the narratives coming out of the journals now is that we are have been kind of fooling ourselves into thinking that the benefits are in fact real. It doesn't seem that they are. But look, we're going to wait and see, right? And it's, once again, we're not telling you to quit drinking. So what do you think? Is there a happy place with alcohol? I guess that's the question. Now, in Hong Kong, where bars and restaurants have been asked to close permanently or early during the COVID period, sharing a drink with friends and family or both has become a bit of a port in the storm. Now, can you then make decisions for your future self and self and still take measures to protect your health over the long term? It kind of seems like a million-dollar question. This is already the longest episode I've done quite or almost actually, I'm getting close, but it, there's so much to cover and there's so much nuance in this. And I'm, I really do hope that I haven't made it more confusing for you, but I hope also that it's introduced just how many different parts of the body alcohol does affect. Personally, I think there is a happy place. And this is for someone who hasn't had a drink for 17 years. If you're sick, Drinking regularly isn't likely to help, but I think that's common sense. And look, that's especially binge drinking. But suppose you feel that your irritable bowel symptoms and your mental health symptoms are worse the next day after having a drink. In that case, that's a message for you to listen to until you feel better and, and your mental 
physical and mental capacity is better. I think oftentimes when we are thinking about stop not drinking alcohol, it can often seem like it has to be for life. But if you're unwell, then maybe just see how you go. And, you know, the, the effects might be there to see or they may not be there to see, but at least you know for sure. If you're male and over 40 then don't get regular blood tests, if you really want to know about your relationship with alcohol, I would just assess where your situation is. Get some blood tests. Men, do not go to the doctors. It's getting worse over COVID as well. You never know what's going on. So check your cardiovascular risk with your doctor and see where you're at. And if if it's fine and you're healthy and everything like that, you'll know that part of this podcast around alcohol increasing your cardiovascular risk may not be as appropriate to you. But if you do see that your cardiovascular risk has increased, then maybe it's time to reassess your relationship with alcohol. So in conclusion, even just from the length of this episode, it's clear that we're just in a gray area, isn't it? But is that going to stop you anyway? It shouldn't have to. It should stop you though if your body is dealing with something at the same time and that could be as simple as feeling run down after a big week or as complex as irritable bowel syndrome. So there you have it, a very contentious issue to say the least. Am I being harsh or is it time to accept the reality of some of the new science that's coming out? I think it's going to be the latter but it doesn't mean it's the end for you and alcohol it may just mean being a little more conscientious with your consumption and i hope learning about how out how alcohol affects you and your body helps you to make a better decision and that's what this episode is really all about that's what free and inspired radio is really all about it's trying to give you the knowledge that you need to make just better decisions for yourself that's why i always talk about personal sovereignty because you do have the opportunity to be in charge I'd like to thank IMI for the inspiration and collaboration for this episode. If you'd like to learn more about IMI, we are open for business in Hong Kong and now virtually in Singapore. Hello, Singapore. So please go to www.imi.com.hk for more information on how IMI might be able to help you. Before we finish this extra long episode of Free and Inspired Radio, if you'd love to hear more from me and get the word on new articles, podcast episodes, and more, jump over to the website philipwatkins.health and join our community via the newsletter sign up on the homepage. Also, if you want the transcript to this show, it might take a little bit of time to get it uploaded, but there were 35 references for this episode. So if you want to have a look at some of the journals that I've used, have a look at some of the texts that I've used, in particular, there's a really great one from the BMJ. There's a really good Lancet article in there as well. Just pop over to philipwatkins.health and look up the episode on the site and you'll be able to track those references down. Your reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify help to get the word out on the street. And if you are listening to this on YouTube, please throw the video a like and subscribe to the channel to see when each new podcast is uploaded. This show is all about helping you to find the freedom to feel inspired again. As always, I hope this gets you one step closer. Until next week, when I think we're going to visit the digestive system and pain, take care of yourself and those around you. Thanks for being with us on Free Inspire Radio.
Until next week, bye. You made it to the end. This show is all about you, and we hope you finished this episode feeling one step closer to feeling free and inspired. We'll be back next week, but if you want to know more about Philip, please catch a digital flight to www.philipwatkins.health for further details about how we might be able to help. In the meantime, have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, and we'll see you for another episode next week.